The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are simply that, opinions. All are presumed innocent until proven otherwise in a court of law. Sensitive topics are discussed. Discretion is advised. On this week's Court TV podcast, the law professor murder for hire trial has come to an end with a split verdict. How will that impact the potential case against the Adelsons, the family suspected of hiring the killers? And the murder trial of Ezra McCandless has begun. Will the prosecution be able to prove she murdered her boyfriend, or will the defense convince the jury this is a case of self-defense? We'll get into all of it, plus update you on the developments in several big cases that everyone is talking about. This is the Court TV Podcast with Vinnie Politan and Seema Iyer. Welcome to the Core TV Podcast. I'm Seema Iyer. I am with my brother from another mother, Vinny Politan. <laughs> Hello. How are you? That, that's saying brother from another mother. What, that is what you are like to me. I know, but what does that actually mean if you break it down? Well, we don't have the same mother, that would, that but would, you're like a brother to that me. Would, that would make our father like a, like a, a, a Like guy, an Italian a player, Indian? A player. <laughs> Right? Isn't that isn't that what that means? Right? That the father's like playing around with all these different women. Yeah, that was not my father. He was not a player. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But so. the point is, you are like a brother to me. Absolutely, but we don't have the same absolutely. Mother. All right. Point taken. Uh, folks, welcome. Great to have welcome. you. Great to have you back with us. And if you're first timer, welcome. What we're going to do here, Seema, former prosecutor, but really a criminal defense attorney, right? At heart. Yes. And me, a former prosecutor and never a criminal defense attorney. Ever. Well, I took a couple cases just for fun, but not. And my heart wasn't in it. I know. My mind heart. was, Your heart though. still is My mind it. was. My legal mind was. But my, my heart was not in that work. Um, but it's important work. Thank you for acknowledging yeah. that. <laughs> I say that because I'm going to tear <sighs> apart criminal defense attorneys in the next 40 minutes or so. Well, in your defense, you are a very fair person. And I think that all of the cases that we've covered so far on Court TV, there are a lot of times where you have recognized where the prosecution has faulted. Faulted, right? I, I hold them to a to the, to the gold standard. Yeah. Of of looking for justice and the truth, always. Always. Not just looking to convict someone because you think they did it, and and you got to play by the rules. Unlike defense attorneys, you see, <laughs> you see, you see what I just did. You can't go thirty seconds without a dig. Uh, I know. So we had a huge verdict at Court TV. Yeah. But it was only a partial verdict, and despite the word guilty. It was, I think, a disaster for the prosecution. But let's listen to the verdict. State of Florida versus Sigfredo Garcia. We, the jury, find as follows as to count one, the defendant is guilty of first-degree murder. We, the jury, find as follows as to count two, the defendant is guilty of conspiracy to commit first-degree murder. We, the jury, find as follows as to count three, the defendant is not guilty. So say we all this 11th day of October 2019. Okay, this is the case of the murder of Florida State Law Professor Dan Markell. And this was a case that involved a complex theory by prosecutors of murder for hire. Markell was a law professor, bitter divorce, custody battle for his children, did not get along with his in-laws. Prosecutors believe those in-laws had him murdered so they could get custody of the children and bring him to South Florida, away from Tallahassee, and away from Dan Markell. That was a guilty verdict for yes. one of the alleged hitmen, who is no longer alleged, is now a hitman. Or is he? That's the question. Because 
This man was found guilty of murdering the professor, but no one has been found guilty or even charged with hiring him to do it. And it's a murder for hire case. And I think the entire country is legitimately in an uproar that the family that is alleged to have hired Garcia, who was found guilty, and this family is the Adelsons, uh, they have not been charged yet. Never, ever, ever charged. And this includes his ex-wife, who That's right. may or may not be involved, according to prosecutors. It's hard to tell what their, their thoughts are on that. Um, the mother-in-law, who they believe is involved, well, they, and, and the brother-in-law, who they believe right. is involved. Because they made all these arguments in court, well, but they haven't charged anybody. Okay, yet. so to be clear, just I just want to set this up, because I really, I think this was the most obsessed I have ever been with a case. I was you just were. so into this case. So, uh, Dan Markell was gunned down in his driveway on July 18, 2014. And after that, they really didn't have any suspects. The police were digging hard. Basically, video evidence, cell phone evidence, and those uh, toll transponders, uh, easy pass, that they call them sun passes in, in Florida, all of that led to Garcia and Rivera. Garcia is he has children with a young lady named Katie McBanawa. That was the co-defendant on trial. McBanawa has dated someone known as Charlie Adelson. Charlie Adelson is the brother of Wendy Adelson. Wendy Adelson is the ex-wife of Dan Markell. And there you have it. Prosecution, though, has always believed it was the mom, the cute little old lady living in Miami Beach, Donna Adelson, who was, in fact, the mastermind behind this whole crime. But, of course, What's Donna Adelson going to do? She doesn't know anybody in the underworld. So she calls her son, Charlie, a.k.a. the maestro of Miami Beach. He's a dentist, folks. Listen, wait, hold on. The guy is a dentist. But, But you don't. Okay, remember. You know how remember the days he when you were he is. remember the days when you were DJs in Belmont. Oh, when I, oh, when I would go out to the clubs, going out to the clubs. And if well, I was down in South Florida, I would have gone to Joseph's. And as a matter of fact, I went to Joseph's one night. You know who was there? Who was there? Junior. Junior? John Gotti Jr. Oh, oh, really? Well, this is back in the day oh. when he was a young man. He's an older guy now. Yeah, John Gotti Jr. was there. Oh, wow. Yeah, so they like they, they partitioned off part of the nightclub just for, for Junior. Oh, wow. Yeah, so yeah. But, but here's I the deal. wouldn't but, run but around wait, thinking wait, I was part of that you, world. Well, let me tell you something. The difference between you and Charlie Adelson is that you, and I know this for a fact, like you've always led a very healthy, clean lifestyle. Charlie Adelson partied. He allegedly... Uh, took steroids. Steroids, it, it has been reported that it makes you more aggressive. So perhaps Charlie Adelson had this kind of, uh, you know, false bravado saying, yeah, we can off this guy. We can get these kids here. We can get Wendy here. I'm going to take care of my sister. I'm going to handle this. So, and Charlie Adelson was, he frequented the nightclubs. He liked the bottle service and the bottle girls. And who was a bottle girl? Katie McBanawa. Yeah, she was. And and she was tried in this case. She was tried for murder, but the jury was split and they were hung. It was a mistrial. So, this and 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 all along, prosecutors were trying to get that McBanoa girl, the bottle girl, the bottle girl, to flip onto the Adelsons, right? Well, and and to to spill all the beans, give all the information, and and directly link the Adelsons to this murder. But she would never do it, and she denied it. And then she got up on the stand and denied it again at her own trial. And guess what? At, at least one juror thought it was reasonable. 
That's right. Now, in, in, in fact, Georgia Kaplman, the lead prosecutor, said that she's been trying to get McBanna what a flip since 2016. So what do you think now that McBanawa mistrial, what role does this? This is now a disaster for prosecutors because I now know. you didn't get a you didn't get a conviction on McBanawa, right? She testified, so you can never give her a deal and she can never testify against the Adelsons because she has no okay, credibility. But here's, zero credibility. Here's what, so your potential link is gone. No, it's not. Here you know why? Because gone. let's go back to the <laughs> let's go back to the basics. In twenty sixteen, the Tallahassee Police Department believed they had enough evidence on their own, just based upon financial records, cell phone evidence, video evidence, uh, wiretaps. Okay, I just want to remind everyone that Charlie Adelson was the target of the investigation. His phone was wired in April of 2016. So let's go back to the basics, back to those original four arrest warrants for Garcia, McBanawa, Rivera, the snitch, and Charlie Adelson. And just arrest Charlie Adelson. Enough already. But you've got to you've got to try a case where McBanua is sitting next to Adelson. But oh, it was I would a, love that. It was a much better me, ca- but it's a much better case if they were minute. also sitting next to the man who was just convicted. I am, because now the two convicted men will not be at any trial. They'll be the ones whose yeah. fingers are pointed at when these other folks, if they ever go to trial. If Adelson and McBanawa go to trial together. I am putting in like an advance notice of PTO because I am not working. I'm just going to sit there. I'm not, no, and I'm not working at the trial. I'm going to just bring like a big ball of Pinot Noir and a big bag of Skinny Pop and I'm going to sit in the front row and I am going to have the time of my life if Charlie Adelson goes on trial. I don't know if it ever happens. I mean, there was, oh. there was no, the prosecutor afterwards ta- is talking about uh, retrying McBanawa, but. Why are you not charging the people you believe? And it's your theory. It's not like I'm making it up and saying you should think that they did it. It's their theory. Wait, wait. you know what it's like when you're a line assistant. So just so everyone understands, there is the elected official state attorney, right? And then there's the assistant state attorneys or assistant district attorneys, depending on the jurisdiction. So my point is you can recommend to the top cop, your boss, what you think you know, about a prosecution, but it is ultimately his or her decision. And there is a new state attorney in that office now, so hopefully this can change things. Hopefully, because if you believe this is the truth, and again, prosecutor, you believe this is the truth, that the Adelsons were at the top of this murder-for-hire plot, then you need to charge them, you need to try them. If you win, you win. If you lose, you lose. It's up to a jury to decide. But you've got to bring the case if you believe that's what's, that is what happened here. Yes, and uh, folks, it's your obligation. S- stay tuned to Court TV and the podcast because if there's any updates on the Adelsons, we will certainly give that to you. But next up, we are going to talk about a dark and twisty trial that we are covering now. That's next. Follow Court TV live over the air, uninterrupted. If you're watching television with an antenna, just rescan your channels now to add Court TV. And go to CourtTV.com to see the exact channel position and more ways to watch Court TV in your area. So the trial we are covering now, Vinny, is really testing my sex positivity. This one is, uh, it's, it's bizarre. I think it's going to be a strange, uh, dark place where we're going to go. 
uh, through, throughout it this trial. It sets negativity all day long. It is. It's and very it, dark. And it leads to the death of, of a young man. It leads to the death of the, a young man named Alex Woodworth, and he was just 24 years old at the time. Now, the defendant, young lady Ezra McCandless, she is on trial for killing him, and she's saying it was self-defense. They had a relationship. It started back in November of 2017, and they were back and forth for a bit. She has dated some other people that we may hear from in this trial, a young man named Jason Mengel. There was another uh guy that she was dating at the time. Hansen is his last name. So she was dating a few people. She's dating Alex Woodworth. And uh, on the fateful day of March 22nd, 2018, she went to Alex's place to return some things. Uh, apparently, I think she wanted to get out of the relationship because it was turning a little dark. You know, they were sexually active. And at some point he uh, engaged in sexual activities that were just too violent for her, choking her, biting her, doing things that caused her uh, physical pain, asking him to stop, and he wouldn't stop. He also conveyed that some of his interests in cannibalism, hedonism, and obviously this uh, BDSM uh, sex stuff. So she went to return his things and then they get in the car. And this is where everything just goes up in smokes because it doesn't make sense to me. She's returning his things, but she wants to go talk to him somewhere else. And she drives and they're in the car at some point, And she tells the cops that she's anxious. So they switch seats and he's driving, but they get stuck in the mud and uh, they're stuck in the mud. And he at some point attacks her, according to her, rapes her. Um, he has a knife. This is according to Ezra McCandless. And, then she gets the knife away from him and she tells the police later that she just kept stabbing at him anywhere and everywhere. The medical examiner found that uh, he had suffered from multiple injuries, specifically 16 stab wounds. And she walks away from this, ends up at some neighbor's home who ends up calling the police and she ends up there bloody, muddy, and cut, including, which is a very central part of this Could case. Could be the key to the whole case, is, is, is the, the wound that she has on her arm. It's the word boy that's been carved with a knife on her arm. And initially, we thought that Alex Woodworth did it to her until she finally confessed to police that she did it herself. Or did she? I well, mean, why, why do you? Well, I, I think this is a big point of description is when exactly was the word boy and who did it and why was it done and what does it mean? It's it's part of the whole bizarre case. And I think we're going to have two completely different versions as as this case unfolds in, in court about what that carving means and how it could impact um, what the jury thinks really happened. Well, Here's the confusing part. Okay, she says she was attacked. She says she was raped. Fine, no problem. When you end up at the neighbor's house and you're crying, and by the way, one of the cops who responded said she was crying, but there were no tears coming out of her eyes, okay? So when that, when she goes to the neighbor's house, and this is on the afternoon of March 22nd, then 
what do you do? You say, hey, I killed someone and he's wherever he is. Point the location. She never does that. And she's, because of her state, they send her to the Mayo Clinic. And it was, in fact, at the Mayo Clinic where one of the doctors says that the wounds could be self-inflicted. Specifically, this doctor, and we should hear from him, Dr. Tillotson, he says the angle of the wounds in the groin look consistent with self-infliction as well as those on the right thigh and wounds on left arm. The letters, and this is the boy, the letters were oriented for her to look at. So after all of that comes out, uh, and then the investigators come back to interview her two days later on the 24th, she admits that she carved a word into her arm after she stabbed her ex-boyfriend. It's all bizarre. And and here's the other part of this case as I'm looking at it. Um, and, and this, again, is part of, you know, the world of criminal defense. Initial reports were this was going to be an insanity defense. Oh, really? I didn't hear that. There, there was some initial reporting coming out when this wow. first happened that was going to be an insanity defense. I don't know how far along they got, but I wonder if at that time whether or not the defense was fishing for a defense or whether they were fishing for the truth. Right. You know, you know what I mean? Because um, a lot of times I, I, I look at these cases and the defenses that are put out there and I'm wondering, are they legitimate or are they just what they're they th- what they're going to go with? Like, what should we go with here? <laughs> and, and, and defense attorneys <laughs> stop, like that. What should we go it. with here? It's not it's not like, all right, what happened is no. What should Wait, we go first with? First of all, Two completely excuse different me, things. excuse me, Mr. High and Mighty. Can you get down from the perch that you put yourself on top of every day? I am because, just because no, wait, no, wait, you don't understand. You don't know what it's like when you have these clients that don't tell you the truth. And then you're in danger of asking too many questions and then you get them to say something and then you have to recuse yourself from the case or you know information about an ongoing crime and then you put yourself in a bad position so listen pump it Vinny. pump it what are we going to go with you you (laughs) should we go with the uh insanity self-defense or should we go with somebody else did it i have more stop (laughs) who are you stop it wait 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 i'm putting my pinky ring on one second there is also notice requirements, okay? Right. Okay. So these lawyers have to be responsible because, Vinny, if you don't file notice of intent to uh, go forward with the insanity defense within the statutory period of time, you may lose the ability because you know with this insanity, right. it's like doctor, 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 notice, 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 report to the other side, back and forth. There's a lot involved. Gotcha. So what? So they went with self defense here, basically, <laughs> because is what they're going with, and 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 a lot of 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 the story will only be from her because he's dead, and in self defense cases, that's a lot of times the way it works, unless you have a videotape, like we did in other in another trial, Draco, which we're going to talk about later on, right? Um, where you know. If you're saying self defense, there's also video of it, so the, the jury can judge for themselves. But here. It's going to be up to her story. So she's got to testify. Well, hold on. She's going to have to testify. Because I don't know of any of these interviews. So she was interviewed by the police on two dates. We don't know yet if those interviews were videotaped. I believe that the March 24th interview was at the Mayo Clinic. So they may not have been interviewed. That may not be videotaped. I hope not. Might be a HIPAA problem. Yeah, no, actually, you know what's funny? I actually saw her HIPAA that it signed. So she waved. Oh, she waved. She it. waved okay. HIPAA. Okay. So, whew. but the point is that I don't know if there's videotapes of her 
interviews, number one. Number two is she has made several statements. So maybe the prosecution, I'm sorry, the defense would be able to argue self-defense. And this is interesting. So basically, if you don't have uh, the defendant testify, you can either have enough evidence to support the jury instruction of self-defense or, which has happened to me, uh, you have the evidence, the judge says, no, we're not going to give you the instruction, but you can argue it all day long, which is great. So that may factor into whether she testifies. She but Vinny, uh, I listen, I hope she does. I, you, know, you know how I feel about it. It's like my happiest day at work when people testify. But it's not just her that's going to testify. There is a laundry list of lay witnesses the prosecution wants to bring in. And what they have to say is very questionable. We're going to talk about that next. For more Court TV, watch it on cable, over the air, Roku, or go to CourtTV.com and stream live gavel-to-gavel coverage. Catch up on the big moments from our current cases and relive some of Court TV's most historic trials. Court TV, your front row seat to justice. The prosecution in Wisconsin versus McCandless wants about 10 lay witnesses to testify. Isn't that a lot, Vinny? Uh, you know, it depends on the nature of the case. And in this one, I'm surprised. I think it's a lot for this case because it's a simple story on the one hand. On the other hand, it's a very complicated story. I mean, something happened in that car, whether it was murder or self-defense. There were only two people there, but there's other people, I think, that can shed a lot of light on what was really going on in the lives of these two uh, people. And when we're talking about lay witnesses, we're talking about non-experts. We're talking about non-law enforcement. We're not- Regular folks. Regular folks like you and me. Well, I I would (laughs) consider myself an expert. You would? In what? well, in DJing, DJing, in your basement, scrapbooking, I think is another wait, line of you, my expertise. Wait, you scrapbook? Why wouldn't I? Why, I see. I hate. I listen, you know, I really hate that about you. I, I'm be honestly, I need a moment because I hate. I am the keeper hate, of all the memories in my family. Okay, well, I didn't know that. Number one, it number two, it's okay. It's weird. Number three, I hate when you answer one of my questions with a question. I really Why? hate that. Be- All right. Can we go to break? Okay. So this is important. This is important. Okay. So because we don't see this a lot, Vinny, where there's all these witnesses and they, the the prosecution wants them to give opinion. Now in Wisconsin, lay witnesses can give opinion, but it must be one based on the witness's perception, two helpful to understanding the witness's testimony or determining a fact and issue. And three, and this is very important, and this is what there have been like thousands of pages of motions where these people are fighting back and forth because the opinion testimony or the testimony by a lay witness cannot be based on scientific, technical, or other specialized knowledge. Yeah, I think it's dangerous when you get into opinions. It really is. But I mean, in many of the cases we cover, even in jurisdictions where lay witnesses, ordinary folks aren't allowed to give opinions, they end up giving them. And it's because the other side doesn't necessarily object in time or the, the opinions may not be as, as over the top and, and blatant as they are attempting to do in this case. And where, where you can tell what someone's opinion is by the way they testify without actually giving. Them OK, opinion. so 
I, let's play a game. I'm going to give you a statement proposed by one of the witnesses, and you sure. tell me if it's allowed. Okay. Okay. So Joe Shane Carlin wants to testify, and I'm reading all this is from motion practice, from the defense and prosecution, that Ezra is bat bleeping crazy, in or out. Now, if this, if, if this was an insanity defense case, but they didn't go with that. But this is a lay witness. Right, right, right. But, but I don't think they're giving a medical definition. I think they're describing behavior. Yeah, but that's conclusory. You can't just You're say describing crazy. behavior. No, you can describe and say, oh, yeah, she does some crazy things. Yeah, but you have to tell me what the things are. Okay, yeah, there will be a follow-up question. Okay. Uh, her eyes are often blown up, and she appears to be under the influence of something. Ooh, under the influence of something. Yeah, is that, yeah, is that in? Is that in? I, I would allow it in if, you, if there's if you've got more to back it up. Ding, ding, ding. You win. Okay, so under the law, lay witness may give opinion testimony that a person is using drugs and or alcohol so long as that opinion is rationally based on their direct observations of the person. Right. So now, they have to know the person. They have to know what they are like normally. Okay. Well, they're not under the influence. Court Fox. Mr. Fox wants to testify that she came from an ultra-conservative Christian Past, in or out. Oh, that should be in as well. Of course. There's nothing, I agree. There's nothing scientific in. about that. Because and, it's and what you And you know observe. the way someone's raised. I mean, we have to have common sense in the law. I kind of like what they're doing in Wisconsin here. This is good. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. Almost I think, as good I, as the fried curd. So Oh, that good. cheese stuff. So you know good. I don't eat dairy anymore. Remember we talked about oh, this. No curd for you. I know. I know. No, cur- no white pizza either. Okay. So here's... Now, this is... A issue, an issue that several witnesses are uh, expected to testify about. This witness, Mr. Fox, also wants to say that she was dealing with being transgender. If she has stated such to her, I, I wouldn't, I, I don't think they can make a conclusion based upon evidence other than actual statements from the defendant. Okay, now, and I just think it's important that our listeners and, uh, of course, our viewers understand that uh, we have been told and we are allowed to report that Ms. McCandless has st- has been struggling with gender identity issues. However, when we are presenting this trial, we are referring to her as her and that we have been given permission to call Ms. McCandless she or her. However, there is a lot of testimony expected that she may have identified as a boy or that she was struggling with gender identity And I think that's a big part of the prosecution case. Yeah. Is what was going on in in her mind that may have motivated this murder. Okay, let me do a few more. So Erin Hansen wants to say that (laughs) the defendant is trying to get out of something and that seemed like the only way for her to do it. In or out? (laughs) Uh, This... This is difficult because it gets very close to the ultimate issue. Yeah, exactly. Of murder. So that one, that one I'd have a, a hard time with. Yeah. Okay. Oh, this is good. Alexis Kexel wants to testify that the defendant has multiple personality disorder. This is like a regular person on the street, Vinny, wants to come into the courtroom and unless, diagnose unless, poor Ezra McCandless with unless, multiple personality disorder. What? Unless what? Ezra told her that. 
no, wait a minute. No, you're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. It doesn't matter if Ezra told her because Ezra, first of all, that's, that's, I think that's impermissible hearsay because it's medical diagnosis. Even if Ezra said that, because if Ezra said that she was relying on her doctor telling her that. Well, I, I would, I, if Ezra ah. said it, I would allow it. Other than that, denied. Okay. All right. Um, okay. Move and, on, counselor. Okay. Matt Schreiber. Matt Schreiber wants to come in and say, oh, Matt's got a few things. I'm going to give them to you. Matt wants to say that she was erratically emotional. Isn't it emotionally erratic? Erratic Yeah. Okay. Well, erratically emotional. That's what Matt wants to say. Uh, emotionally unstable. The defendant did not take responsibility for anything she did. That could be an observation. That's conclusory. Anything she did, that means Matt Schreiber would have had to have watched Ezra McCandless well, from the time she was came not out of her anything. mommy's tummy on the delivery table to now. Like every Again, single thing. Again, it would she have to be never specific took responsibility. examples. Okay, but that's, these are conclusory. I don't like this motion. Specific de- examples. Okay, wait, this is good. Matt wants you've to observed. say. Matt wants to say the defendant's version of reality was warped. That's getting into uh, getting into her mind again. Um, I, I would allow, again if he could tell us what what she what she claimed her reality was and what what he actually observed the reality was. Oh, somebody else wants to say she's bipolar. We could have like a battle of the experts within the experts. Is yeah. she bipolar? Is does she have multiple personality disorder? Yeah. Oh, the bipolar part that that's a little tough. Well, and I, I here's interesting. Uh, I think it was during jury selection, we did get a snippet from the defense because they were asking jurors about what they thought about PTSD. So we could see some experts saying that Ezra McCandless suffered from PTSD. Perhaps it was before the murder. Perhaps it was because of the rape. She was sexually she alleges, assaulted. Right, right. Right. Uh, and maybe that would explain why she wasn't consistent. So in with her- all this discussion of of her mental state. Yeah. Are you surprised they didn't go with legal insanity? I am not surprised because there is nothing to indicate that she did not know the difference between right and wrong. Uh, There is nothing to indicate that she did not know what she was doing. And I I always use this example that, uh, you know, if, if someone is stabbing an orange, right? You're, I, if I'm stabbing an orange, I'm saying I am stabbing an orange. Whereas someone who is insane would say, perhaps I'm stabbing John, I'm stabbing Jane, I'm stabbing someone. So they don't know what, in fact, they are doing. They don't know right. the action that they're doing. Right. And the only time I've seen the insanity defense work in, in front of a jury was with a mother who killed their child, but did it to save their child from the devil. So what they believed they were doing was actually helping the child. Yeah, Again, exactly. unable to see the difference between right and wrong. They thought what they were doing was right when, in fact, it was wrong because they were killing yeah. their own and child. Yeah, and actually those cases are usually the most successful because those those defendants really do believe that, that what they were doing, they were told to do. As tragic as it else. is, as tragic as, as it is, that's when that defense works. All right, coming up, we've we've got uh, uh, we got some some business to do here. So we got to clean up some cases. There's a few outstanding cases. Uh, Michael Draca, handicapped yes. parking lot shooter, he was sentenced. We'll get into that. Joshua Brown, the witness from the Amber Geiger Botham Jean case, who was murdered after the trial after testifying. We've got an update on that, and still more controversy in Dallas surrounding that. We'll talk about that when we come back.
Court TV is everywhere. This is Court TV, your front row seat to justice. With live gavel-to-gavel -gavel trial coverage. We'll bring you the most compelling trials across our nation. I am a homicidal maniac. On the air, online, in your pocket. You'll see and hear all the evidence. Can you take the hose and squeeze it? And streaming free on Roku, Fire TV, and Apple TV. The verdict is in. Court TV, your front row seat to justice. Have a huge update in the case involving Michael Draca. Who's Michael Draca? He's a guy who lived in Florida and used to uh, patrol the parking lot of his local Circle K convenience store because he didn't like when people parked in the handicapped spot illegally. So one day while on patrol, he uh, confronted a woman who had parked there. Her um, boyfriend was inside the Circle K. He came out of the Circle K, saw this man confronting his girlfriend, the mother of his three children, they had a fourth on the way at the time, shoves him to the ground. Michael Draca is shoved to the ground, pulls out his gun, and then Marquise McLaughlin, the man who had shoved him to the ground, starts to back up. And as he's backing up to get away from Michael Draca, Michael Draca shoots and kills him. He is convicted of manslaughter, and now he has been sentenced. And I want everyone to hear the words of the judge because I think they are really powerful, really important. During the taped interview of the defendant, the detective says, does it ever go through your mind that when you go up and talking to these people, informing them of, of them being parked in a handicapped spot, that they might not take that right, that this might go sideways a little bit? And then the defendant says, um, well, sure. But that's why I take precautions as well. Then the detective says, like what? What kind of precaution? The defendant says, well, I'm a very careful person and I have a permit. So what he's saying there is he can create conflict, he can create confrontation, and if there's an issue, he has a firearm. So if he creates a conflict and things go sideways, he can just shoot somebody. That's really what he's saying. And to me, the judge hit it out of the ballpark with that. He Absolutely. He totally nailed who Michael Draca is, who he was, and why Marquise McLaughlin was shot and killed. You know, so many people criticize the judge for speaking so long, but I am used to what this judge did. In New York, they always did that. Judges took copious notes, and during sentencing, they went back through the narrative. I thought this judge did it in a way where he was retelling the story, plus he was inserting his opinion in every sentence, making it crystal clear how he felt. And also, which I didn't realize at the time, but the judge made the point that Michael Draca was illegally parked to confront Brittany Jacobs about being what? Illegally parked. Yeah, the the incredible irony of the whole situation, which shows how crazed he was in yeah. his obsession with these handicapped spots. And I understand people shouldn't park in handicapped spots, but you can't confront strangers. And And what came out of the mouth of the judge, which was so true, is that he was confident in confronting strangers because he had his gun. That's right. And I understand gun owners. I understand gun rights. I understand... Stand your ground. I understand the castle doctrine. I understand all of that. I believe in all of that. 
What I don't believe in is people using that as a defense when you are the one initiating the conflict and initiating the confrontation, which you know can get dangerous, and, and you only initiate because you have the gun. If you didn't have the gun, he never would be confronting people. And as you've said before, that if the person who is initiating the conflict should not have at their disposal stand your ground. Castle yeah, because it's ridiculous. Right. You're not standing well, maybe, maybe your ground. You're walking things. forward when maybe, you initiate a confrontation. I am hoping this verdict and sentencing could, in fact, change things in Florida. It, it has to change the way people understand the use of the law and when it, when, it will, when it will protect you. It doesn't protect you when you are the aggressor. It doesn't protect you when you are the one initiating the confrontation. Just don't do it. There's no reason for it. There's no necessity for it. And the thing that the judge pointed out that was so true here is that the reason he felt so confident was because of the gun. Right. And it's the same mentality. I'll bring it back one more time because I did it. I did it in the first podcast. Oh, first right. Po- con- comparing this case to the case of George Zimmerman. Everybody got to go back and listen to that episode. That and was a great episode, yeah. George Zimmerman, I believe, was emboldened by the fact that he had a gun, so he knew that he could pretend to be a police officer and go and initiate the contact and confrontation with this suspicious person he saw in his neighborhood who was doing nothing wrong, by the way, who actually ran away from him. But he pursued him knowing all along that if things go south, I've got my gun. Most people who carry weapons do feel emboldened. And they don't end so tragically as this story did. Right. And the whole point of Stand Your Ground is you are just walking along or you are standing somewhere doing nothing rightfully in your place and someone confronts and initiates the danger to you, not the other way around. Otherwise, you could walk into a bar, start a fight with a really big guy. Yeah. And and then he starts to beat you up because he's a really big guy. And then you pull out your gun and say, well, I had to shoot him. Because he was beating me up. Well, the only reason he's beating you up is because you initiated the whole confrontation. This has got to end. This has got to change things. Another update we have for you. The, okay. Amber, the Amber Geiger trial involving the shooting death of Botham John. We remember there was a witness, Joshua Brown, in that case, who was murdered after the trial, after he testified for prosecutors, was murdered. Police have the suspects. They they know who is who they believe is this responsible. This is strange. This is very strange. And the, and the whole story, according to Dallas PD, is that Joshua Brown was dealing drugs in the parking lot of, of his apartment complex. He had moved from where he lived at the time where he knew both of them, John. Right. But he got into this deal. Guns were pulled out, and he was shot and but killed. But Vinny, the guys, the suspects, came from Alexandria, Louisiana. Yes. Why... I'm pretty sure they sell drugs in Louisiana. They they do. It's about a four, it's a four or five hour drive. I don't know how all that happened, but here's here's what's really happening in Dallas, is that people don't trust the Dallas PD to investigate this case. The Dallas NAACP is calling for a uh, quote a prompt yet full and thorough independent investigation yeah. of oh. the murder of Joshua Brown by an outside agency preferably the Dallas County Sheriff's Department or the Dallas County District Attorney office why 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 they don't, don't they trust, trust the why? Dallas why? PD just, first of all one thing this is a drug deal gone bad this is completely separate set of circumstances 
than the Geiger case. The Geiger case was amongst the most tragic that I've ever heard of, right? Both of Jean, the victim. But one thing has nothing to do with the other. NAACP doesn't have to get involved. Well, they, they are involved. This There's is, online no. petitions to have the FBI do the investigation here. This is in, The this folks is in Dallas are not trusting the Dallas PD to do this investigation. Now, here's the thing. Dallas PD obviously can solve this case, and they believe they have solved this case. And it may be a very simple case to solve because one of the three defendants is the one who told the whole story. Yeah. Because one of the three defendants got shot and was in, yes, the, hospital. in the hospital. right. So he was the first one arrested. And according to police, he told them everything that happened. Now, to me, the, the, the long term of all of this is a, a way to rebuild the trust between the community of Dallas and their police department because they have to coexist. And no, I understand that, but it's trust. not if this is just completely unfair that one bad cop does not make the entire department. I fall. agree. This is just, it's too much. It's it's completely unrelated. It's a drug deal gone bad. Hey, breaking news. If you sell drugs, it's dangerous. Yeah, it, It's a dangerous thing to do. Buying drugs, selling drugs, it's all dangerous, people. That's your PSA Dangerous for the day. and tragic. And by the way, didn't you write a book review on, I, on, on another, another I did. Thanks for bringing that up. Okay, so yes. Yeah, so uh, She Said, which was authored by the New York Times investigative journalist, Jody Cantor and Megan Tui, and basically it uh, details. It's called "She Said." It, it details their investigative journey into the Harvey Weinstein scandal. Ah, and it really and uh, just Vinny, you as a journalist, you will love this book because it's not just about Harvey Weinstein. It is about the process. It is about the digging. It is about the, uh, you know, running around, calling people, texting people, being rejected, nobody talking to you, not getting a story, deadlines, editors pushing you. The it's the it's so good. It taught me so much. It opened my eyes uh, to the, just the process of what investigative journalists have to go through, as well as uh, that that they expounded the story and even included their interview of Dr. Christine Blasey Ford, sure. who spoke, uh, who you know testified before Congress uh, at Honorable Justice Brett Kavanaugh's confirmation hearing. So it encompasses that. So it really is um, very much in big scope about journalism, about the Me Too movement, about what their work did to change the climate that we live in. And it, it's just so much more. So, yeah, so I wrote uh, a book review about this. It is on our website, CoreTV.com. And in our show notes, we will link to the book review. And, yeah, I, I would I'd be grateful if everybody read my article, but I also implore people to read the book. And does it come in an audio version? Sustained. Like an audio book, book Sustained. on tape? Sustained. Sustained. I, I, I don't know if I have you time. Oh, I thought it you were going to say, like I, do, I, I don't know if I can read. I don't no, know. no, I don't it read. sounds like it's a lot of pages. Okay, stop it. Stop it. You don't want people to think that you don't Maybe, read? No, when I'm driving when I'm driving down to the to the beach house, it'd be perfect. I could pop it in. To your beach mansion? Yeah. On the mansion on it's the beach? A nice little house. It's a nice little house. It's a nice little, little, little studio house. apartment on the man. And beach. this is a nice little podcast. If you like it, please leave a review. We love you. Five stars. Please. Five, five stars. Can five. they give seven? No, they cannot. Can, can they give more than five? 
Five plus. Five plus. And, and write a review. The reviews <laughs> write help. Write a review. Say, I love you, Vinny. You know, the other thing, I, I bump into people all the time. You know, I was at the food court at the mall the other day, and someone said, <laughs> where do I get court TV? I can't get it on my on my digital antenna. And I said, when was the last time you rescanned? And they looked at me, and they said, what do you mean rescanned? I said, aha. This is So if you have a digital antenna, right, and when you first got it, you had to scan it to get all the channels that, that are coming at you in sure, the air. Yeah, well, great. now Core TV may be coming at you in the air, but if you haven't rescanned your antenna since we relaunched the network, you may not know that you actually get it. So rescan your antennas, and the next thing you know, you'll be able to watch Seema Iyer, not just listen to her. There on you her, go. On and next podcast. time you're at the food court in the mall, make sure you say hi to Vinny. Exactly. Is that it for the whole show? That's it. We All did right. it, babe. We did it. Great job. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you very much. No, no, no. Thank you. Thank you. This podcast is a production of Court TV. Go to CourtTV.com for more content, trials on demand, and to find out how to watch Court TV in your area.